Thanks for listening to the Bluff City Apostolic Worship Center podcast. For more information about the church and our ministries, go to bluffcityawc.com. And you can follow us on Facebook by liking our Facebook page, Bluff City Apostolic Worship Center, and find us on Instagram with our Instagram handle, bluffcityawc. my intent this morning to allow the Word of God to speak for itself. Romans chapter 13. I'm going to read several verses beginning with verse 8. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. Owe no one anything except to love each other For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come. Turn to your neighbor and say, the hour has come. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's the word of the Lord. I want to speak on this Sunday morning and minister this text from this focus point that the hour has come. Turn to your neighbor and say that again. The hour has come. You may be seated. The first sentence I'm going to say this morning is a word for somebody. Don't over-obligate yourself out of a relationship with God. Don't overextend yourself What does it mean whenever verse 8 says, owe no one anything? Is it saying that we shouldn't incur any kind of debt that I have to go and, and go live in a cardboard box because the Lord forbids me to have a mortgage? No, that's not what is being said. But what is being said is a word for somebody today. It is against the will of God for you to over obligate yourself out of a relationship with him. If you are overextended right now to the point where you don't have a prayer life, where you don't have a time with the Word of God every day, then you are over-obligated. You are overextended beyond the will of God for your life. You don't need to be over-obligated to money. You don't need to over-obligate your money. If you have more bills than you can pay, you need to start cutting things back. You don't need to over-obligate yourself. You don't need to over-obligate your time. Let me say this, say it this way. You don't need to over-obligate your mental space. Yes. 
There's things you're worrying about that you don't have any business worrying about because it ain't going to change it anyways. You just need to give that over to God. And you've over-obligated your thought life and you're using up mental space and bandwidth that you can't, I can't afford. I've got enough going on in life. You do too. Don't over-obligate your thought life. Give those things over to the Lord. Let me just say it like this. I'm just going to let the word speak for itself today. Some of y'all are paying for things that we don't need. Right? Some of us are spending time on things that just don't matter. Worrying about things that we can't change. Keep your list of obligations short. Secular obligations. Temporal obligations. Now, let me make it clear because the Apostle Paul made this clear. We're going to do a little bit of teaching and preaching today. The Apostle Paul said, don't over-obligate yourself. Don't overextend yourself. But that's not the same thing as withdraw yourself. Doesn't mean we can withdraw and isolate ourselves from the world. We need to be separated from the world, but we cannot be isolated from the world. Amen? Keeping your list short, keeping your list of temporal obligations short, allows you the ability to extend grace to somebody. It's the only way that you can be a vessel for God to use is if there's room in your life for Him to operate. And I'm telling you, before we go any further, we're just in that first sentence of verse 8. But that's a word for somebody today. Because you're stressed out about things, or you're working to pay off things, or you're using your time to do things that don't really matter, and that don't really allow God any space to move and operate in your life. And I know the Word of God can be very spiritual at times, but this is a very practical word for somebody today. You need to leave room in your life for God to work. I'll go ahead and jump ahead and make a connection. If you've got your Bible and you've got it open, you can see that there's a connection to the end of this passage in verse 13 and 14. If we're blowing our money on nonsense and your time is out of control, then you're setting yourself up for failure with what the apostle is going to tell us to do at the end of the passage. When he says, cast off darkness, put on light, walk properly as in the daytime. Put on Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. There's a connection between over-obligating yourself and overextending yourself and your success doing what the Word of God commands us to do when we are supposed to put on Christ. And we can't separate the two. So here from the outset, before we get into even verse 9, I want to say right here at the beginning, there's a connection between the practical ways that God is speaking to you today through His Word and the spiritual things that He wants to do in your life. The command to love one another goes beyond just talking about loving fellow believers. The Scriptures say if you love fellow believers, what do ye more than others? The original word in the original language that translates out in our Bibles as neighbor just means one of a different kind. Literally, it's just someone that's different from you. It's someone that has a different personality, somebody that has different politics, somebody that has a different dress code, different mannerisms, different tastes, different views. In other words... When the scriptures tell us, Oh, no one anything except to love one another for the one who loves another, the one who loves a neighbor, has loved, has fulfilled the law. 
telling us that we are obligated to love those that are not like us. That is the obligation that the word of the Lord places on you. That's not a church-wide standard. That's a Bible standard. We are to love one another. We are to love our neighbors, those that are not like us, those that hold different views from us, those that don't look like us, those that don't talk like us. We are to love them as we love ourselves. Amen? And here's the thing. Paul is placing that in the context of owing, of debt. Loving one another and loving our neighbors is a debt that can never be canceled out. We never get to zero. We're always in debt. We always are obligated to love one another and to love our neighbors and to love those who are not like us. We never reach the point where we have to stop reaching for people. We never reach the point where we stop loving our neighbor and reaching for them and trying to show them the love of Christ. We never reach the place where we live for God long enough or we are so busy doing the work of the church that we don't love our neighbors and those that are not like us. We are never set free from that obligation in Scripture. And so while we keep our temporal obligations as minimal as possible, we never cease to be obligated as Christians to love our neighbors, those not like us. That's why Paul goes on and continues writing in verses 9 and 10. I want to read them again in your hearing. For the commandments that you shall not commit adultery or you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So let's look at the next verse, verse 11. Besides this, you know the time. Besides this, you mean there's more? (laughs) Right? You mean I need to not over-obligate myself. I need to make room for God to live in my life and to be a part of my life and to use me as he sees fit. I need to love my neighbor as myself. And there's more? Besides this? You know the time. Now, Paul spoke a prophetic word 2,000 years ago when he wrote that. He spoke it over you. You know the time. Look at your neighbor and say, you know the time. You need to become convinced of that right now. You don't need a preacher to tell you that there's things happening in the world around us. You know the time. You know the Lord's coming back soon. You know that these are the times that we read about in scriptures. You know that the signs are all there, that Jesus could part that eastern sky any minute and return for his church. You believe that. You know the time. And what that means is the hour has come. Because you know the time, the hour has come for us to awake out of sleep. Here's how I would put it in our vernacular. I can't say this word around my daughters because they think it's a bad, bad word. Um, But it's not. It's the word stupid. Um, Lydia told me last night I was putting her to bed and I was talking to her. I just, this is a rabbit trail. You guys don't like it. Um, I was putting her to bed and we were just talking about repentance and we were talking about Jesus making your heart clean. You know how Jesus is the only one that can make your heart clean. We were just talking about that. We talk about that stuff sometimes and just try to get it down in there. We were talking about that and... uh, She's, and I said, what's something, I just wanted to pick her brain a little bit. So what's something that makes your heart dirty, makes your heart not clean? She named off a couple things, and then she said, and saying cuss words. I said, well, I said, okay. I said, and she said, like, stupid. <laughs> and she said, and then the really bad one. I said, what's that? And she said, shut up. And, and I said, 
said, I, yeah, don't say those. Don't say those. <laughs> this morning, they, my girls are religious. I'm just going to go on another rabbit trail because it's just us here today. and We love one another. My girls were eating cereal this morning. They're religious about eating their cereal in the morning. And uh, they're up at the, dinner, the, the table and they're eating their cereal. I was gone. Ellie texted me after I left. And uh, they're sitting there, and I guess Julia poured milk in her cereal, and she said, uh, I just baptized my cereal. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Lydia said, and then Lydia took some, and she took some milk and put it in, and she's like, I baptized these Cocoa Puffs in the name of Cheerio. And, man, we've got work to do. We've got work to do. The hour has come for us to awake out of sleep. Here's what I would say that means in our vernacular. The time has come for each of us to stir out of the, the, the stupor, the stupid, fatal indifference that we can sometimes lull ourselves into about spiritual and eternal things. We can get so wound up about what's happening in the world and then even just what's happening in our life that we develop an indifference towards eternal things. And that indifference is not only dumb... But it's fatal. Because if you are harboring that kind of attitude and that kind of mentality when the Lord does part that eastern sky, if listen, there aren't going to be any indifferent people that go up to meet him in the air that day. Right. <laughs> I mean, that shouldn't come as a surprise to us, but just think about that. The, the book of Revelation uses the word lukewarm. There aren't going to be any lukewarm people. That go to meet the Lord in the air. There aren't going to be. It is the time. The hour has come. For us to awake out of sleep. For us to stir up out of the indifference. And the things that lull us into a sense of security. We have to watch. Jesus said watch and pray. For you know not what hour your master returns. He's going to come back. Besides this you know the time. You know the time. That the hour has come. And it's the time for the church to awake out of sleep and to stir ourselves out of indifference. The hour has come. The hour has come to pray, to read our Bibles more than we entertain ourselves. The hour has come to love others. The hour has come, moms and dads, to talk with our children about Jesus. In our home. The indifference that we sometimes find ourselves in is fatal. Your lack of prayer is going to be fatal. Your inability to turn off the TV and to open your Bible. I'm just saying what the word, I'm just letting the word speak. Is fatal. Your unwillingness to forgive others. Is fatal. We cannot be indifferent about the things that God is emphatic about. God is emphatic about things. He says we have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of the word. We have to be a people of the name of Jesus. We have to be separate from the world. Amen. We have to cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. God is clear and emphatic about it. And what God is clear and direct about, the church cannot be indifferent over. We have to get radical about it. We have to get serious about it. 
This is the hour. This is the time. Every day. Every day. We need to revisit that place where we found the plan of salvation. Every day we need to revisit that new birth experience. That place where the Spirit of God regenerates and does a new work in us. Every day we need to get into the presence of God for ourselves and get to that place where the Spirit can do a work in our lives. The hour has come for repentance. The hour is here. For being baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins. The hour is here, church, where God wants to pour out His Spirit upon all flesh. This is the hour. And this is the time. Apostle Paul goes on in verse 12. He expounds a little bit more. He says, the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let me make an important point right now. When he said to cast off the works of darkness, he's writing to the church. We like to make the point that these epistles and these letters were written to the church. And that for salvation, we need to look back to Acts for the plan of salvation. And that's absolutely the case. But that statement and that point can be a little bit of a two-edged sword because we see also in these letters to the church where he writes things to the church that we need to cast off the works of darkness. There's an indictment against the church there. There's a little bit of conviction that leaks in when we have to hold the mirror up to ourselves and say, you know what, there are some things I need to cast off. I may be sanctified and I may be holy and, and I might have experience the new birth once upon a time and I, I might be walking with Jesus and I might have outwardly an identity that matches, you know, what the Lord has done in my life and I, I may have let the Lord work on me and, and, and it might be evident, but there's still some things I need to cast off. Amen? Amen? Mark chapter 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out demons. I read that verse to make this point. Before there can be any casting out, there has to be some casting off. A church that has not decided to take the word of God seriously and cast off some things and put on the armor of light cannot expect itself to operate in the dimension of power where you can cast out demons and you can heal diseases and you can speak to things that are not as though they were. There has to be a casting off that takes place. And here's where we reach a place of real application today on this Sunday morning as we're in Romans 13 together. God is always looking for a a subtraction in your life so that he can call you to an addition. God's not just saying you need to cast off the works of darkness. He's saying you need to do that so that you can put on the armor of light. Paul wrote about that in Ephesians chapter 6. He wrote about the armor of God. He's talking about the same thing in here. He's talking, here's how I heard it once said, Brother Hunter. God, the new armor that God wants to put on you, Brian, doesn't fit on the old man. You have to be made a new creature. You have to cast off some works of darkness. Because that armor won't fit over the top of those things that you haven't cast off. And when you decide not to cast off those things, when you allow, here's the thing. 
We're going to get into this next verse here in a minute. It's going to be a, it's going to be a whopper. But whenever we don't allow the Holy Ghost to have the place of conviction in our life that it should, we allow those things that we should be casting off to remain on us, and we can't put on the armor of God like we should, and we leave ourselves vulnerable. We leave ourselves vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. This is a word for somebody right now. Because you feel like you keep, you keep getting poked and attacked in the same spot. The enemy always sees it. Well, it might be that there needs to be something in your life that's cast off. Right. So that you can put a piece of that armor of God where it needs to be. Amen. To protect yourself. Yeah. And to keep you from being yeah. vulnerable that's in that right. same place that the enemy likes to attack you over and over and over again. Right. And so we have to cast off. God is wanting to call us to an addition. We said earlier that we need to keep our secular, our temporal obligations to a minimum. And that's so that we can be a vessel of power and goodness to our neighbor. So that we can let the Holy Ghost work through us. And the scripture says here that we need to cast off the works of darkness so that we can put on the armor of light. If you want to make a difference in somebody's life, you need to inventory your obligations. I'm circling back to where we were a minute ago. If you want to make a difference in somebody's life, if you want to keep from getting attacked by the enemy every single day... And, and, and every attack of the enemy being a full-blown catastrophe in your life, you need to inventory your obligations and the ways that this temporal life has its hooks in you. And you need to maybe just inventory a little bit and do some casting off. Because if you want to, and I know there's some in here that do walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. And I know that there's a great multitude in here that desires to walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. And if you want to walk in the power of God's Spirit today, you have to cast off some of the evil nonsense that the world attaches to you. Amen? So the Spirit can demonstrate His control, His authority, His power in your life and through your life. And I'm talking to someone this morning who's been searching for a response and needing a word from on high. And the word that I have brought for you today from the word of the Lord is that the hour has come. The hour, turn to your neighbor and say it again. The hour, you need to be persuaded of it. The hour has come. This is your time. I'm talking to youth right now. I'm talking to moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas right now. To the whole united family. This is not the time to withdraw. Or to shrink away. But it's the time to have a prayer life. It's the time to have a devotion. It's time to be steadfast and serious about the things of God. And the hour has come for you to find somebody to spiritually invest yourself in. You're not a silo. Amen? You need to find, the, you need to find somebody that you can pour, that there's an overflow from your life, into, whether that's your children, whether that's your grandchildren, whether that's your friend or your co-workers or your next door neighbor, it really doesn't matter. But you need to identify somebody because something that where there is no flow, Brother Trevor, that's a cistern. It's stagnant, it's dead, it's nasty. There needs to be a flow. There needs to be a flow. The hour has come. Every single one of us needs a flow of, of the spirit through our life into the life of somebody else around us. Amen not an accident that you pointed yourself it's not an accident that you are the generation facing the crisis in our world today god has equipped you cast off the works of darkness put on the armor of light 
God has called you into the kingdom for such a time as this. The church doesn't need to wring its hands. We know how the story ends. We've got our eye on that eastern sky and we know that Jesus is coming back. And until he comes, we are going to occupy and we are going to be vessels. And there's going to be a flow of his spirit that goes out into this lost and dying world. And it's going to go through you and me and every single person under the sound of my voice. The hour has come. Let us walk properly, verse 13 says, as in the daytime. What that means is let us walk honestly, properly. Means let's only do the things that are fit to be exposed in the light of day. If there's a part of your life that's hidden, it's not hidden from God. This is a call. The hour has come. Let us only do the things that are fit to be exposed in the light of day. Let us walk properly, honestly, as in the day. That should move us to repentance right now. I don't know about you, but every single one of us has the inclination to to hide away some things. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now and just repent together? I think everyone in here knows what it is to repent. Can you just do that right now? You don't have to do it with a loud, loud voice, but can you use your voice right now and just say those words and pray a prayer of repentance right now in the name of Jesus? Lord, I pray right now that there would be a spirit of repentance that would come through this building right now. Lord, you're able to do a mighty work of the Holy Ghost, God. But Lord, we want to clean out our spirit, Lord. Lord, we want you to make our heart clean. You're the only one that can do it, God. You're the only one that by the word of your power, you can grant repentance to us and you can forgive us of the things that maybe we've hidden away, maybe the things that we're doing behind closed doors or in the dark that no one else knows about. Lord, we acknowledge right now in the name of Jesus, you already know about it. But Lord, you're not here to condemn us, Lord. You're here to save us. You're here to speak a word of grace and mercy to us. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. 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 The text lists six things in verse 13. And I am chief among sinners whenever I say that when I'm reading or even when I'm teaching or preaching, that I'm very apt to cruising through a list like this and not really stopping. And the Holy Ghost checked me yesterday. Yesterday morning. And so I want us to move slowly through these things in verse 13 and look at them for what they are. We still need biblical standards of behavior and lifestyle. It'd be a good time to say amen. amen. I know that's an old word, but we still need biblical standards, biblical standards of lifestyle and conduct. Here's what it says. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. Now, there's different words that are used, and I've got different ones copy and pasted from different translations into my notes right now. And there's different words that are used here. Um, the King James Version uses the word rioting instead of orgies. The, the New King James Version says revelry. Um, the New American Standard Bible says carousing. Uh, they, they all mean the same thing. What's being talked about when you put those two words together, the orgies and the drunkenness, is what the ESV says, is you're talking about riotous parties. That's what we call today partying. 
talking about partying. It's intemperance. It's where there's no moderation, where there's no restraint. You're just more and more and more and more, and you're just out of control. Today we call that partying. You need, let me speak to somebody, maybe, maybe you adults, I, I don't know. I don't know everyone's background. I don't know what everyone struggles with. But to the adults and the youth in the room, you need to stay away from any environment that even resembles that. All moms and dads say amen. Amen. You need to stay away from environments that resemble what the scriptures just described. If there's out of control activity, if there's riotous partying, things you wouldn't do if mom and dad were there or if grandma was in the room, you need to stay away from those environments. Anything that even resembles that, you need to stay out of that. Don't even put yourself in a position to be in a place like that. The next two things are sexual immorality and sensuality. These are talking about impurity. One refers to definite acts, actions. The other, sensuality, refers to a more general sexually perverse attitude. Let me just say it directly and tell you what the scripture says in case you are unaware or in case all of us need a reminder from time to time. If you're sleeping with somebody who's not your spouse, you're in sin. That's sexual immorality. If you're in a relationship with somebody who hasn't been born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, then you're out of order and you're in sin. You don't need to be unequally yoked to an unbeliever. It doesn't even need to be a consideration. Because here's why. It's incompatible. It's incompatible with what God has placed inside of you. It does not mean that they are a wicked, terrible, evil person. But you have the gift of the Holy Ghost inside of you. And if you're shopping around on the dating scene, and you're even considering somebody that hasn't been filled with the Holy Ghost and doesn't have the new birth experience in their life, then you're out of order. And I know I, know I wasn't going to get anybody taking a lap on that. And I know that that's, that doesn't conform to our flesh. But just one chapter earlier in Romans chapter 12 is the scripture we all like to quote. Here in 13, here in chapter 13, the rubbers meet in the road. But back in chapter 12, it says this, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We are living in an hour when the Lord is soon to return. And there's enough that you're having to battle against without you having to deal with sexual immorality and a sexually perverse attitude called sensuality. You need to cast those things off. And I I said a minute ago, before we launched out into this water, I'm chief among sinners of buzzing right through a part of the passage like this and not stopping. But the Holy Ghost put that there to provide context for what he's calling us to. It's not enough to talk about having a move of God in the abstract. But when God moves and God moves into your life, there is things that begin to happen that are practical. That are hands on, that are real life, that affect the way that we live. I'm talking today about biblical standards of lifestyle that the word I said at the beginning, I was just going to let the word speak for itself today. 
The word is calling us to a place where we are ready to make heaven. And it's calling us to cast off the works of darkness. To put on some new things that God wants to put in our life. And we can't do both at the same time. Let's talk about sensuality for a minute. It's two-pronged in my estimation. We need to watch what we laugh about. And what we joke about. Number two, you need to watch what you daydream about. We was talking about that headspace earlier. Over-obligating your thought life. Let's go back to the thought life for a second. You need to watch what you're fantasizing, what you're daydreaming about in your own little head. We all deal with it. Every single one of us. The preacher deals with it. Everybody deals with it. You need to check that. You need to let the Holy Ghost check that. Amen. Amen. That comes from being in a place of prayer every day. If you ain't touching heaven every day, if you're not taking time, getting into the Word of God, getting into your prayer clauses every day, you're going to fight this battle and you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be, you're going to throw your hands up and you're going to, but if you'll align yourself with God, God will give you everything you need to be victorious over the things that you're facing. I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm not, there's not a spirit of condemnation. God's spirit is not a spirit of condemnation. But I'm telling you, and I'm preaching a message of hope today, that if you'll align, if you'll cast off those things and you'll put on what God is making readily available to you, He's wanting to equip you with everything you need to be successful living for Him. He's not setting a standard for you that is impossible to meet. He's not setting you up for failure. He's not going to judge you by someone else's scorecard. But He's calling you to a life of separation and holiness and blessing and power and authority and purpose in your life. And it happens whenever we look and we allow the Word of God to be that mirror of conviction in our life. And we allow Him to speak to us in the way that only He can. We need to watch our humor. We need to watch our thought life. Because that's how sensuality takes root. That's how we are led into sexual immorality. The last two things go together too. These are little pairs that the Apostle Paul wrote here in Romans 13. Quarreling and jealousies. For quarreling, I go a couple verses later to Romans chapter 14, verse 2. And he says, don't quarrel over opinions. That's what quarreling is. It's when we quarrel over opinions. I'm all for taking a stand for something that's absolute. But when it comes to opinions, I'm not going to waste my breath, my energy. I don't have the time or the inclination, whether it's a church matter or whether it's a secular matter. I'm not, go- I'm not a member of debate club. I'm sorry. I'm not going to quarrel. I'm not going to spend the time. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it in person. I'm not going to do it on Facebook. I'm not going to do it in the comments section on YouTube. I'm not doing it. Amen. Don't quarrel. Let go of that nonsense. Amen. Quarreling is something that's spurred on by the desire to dispute over opinions. This says jealousies. There's a difference between jealousy and envy. Envy is when you want something that someone else has. Jealousy is when you're worried someone's trying to take what you have. Don't live with the spirit of jealousy. Don't make it your life's existence to guard and to dig your claws into possessions and status symbols. If you're working for the purpose 
of making sure no one else catches up with you, that you've always got the latest and greatest and the hottest and the newest and the best. That's a spirit of jealousy. Don't live with that. Cast that off. Cast that mess off by the power of the Holy Ghost. Before you leave the building today, cast that mess off. Get that out of your life. I stop and I look at these things because a lot of times in scriptures I roll over a list like that and I do it without holding up a mirror to myself and allowing the Spirit of God to examine us in light of His Word. And while this isn't an exhaustive list, we could go to other places in the Bible and find other things that we could talk about that would fit this category. These are the things that God decided to place in the context of the passage that we're in this morning. So I believe that the Holy Ghost has a direct thing that He's working in us and for us this morning that connects to what we've already talked about a few minutes ago and that connects to where we are right now. If we don't stop and let the Spirit examine us, then we lose conviction. Yes. We lose it. That's right. And we still need biblical standards of lifestyle and behavior. Verse 14. Everyone say, thank you, Jesus. We're done with that. <laughs> Verse 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Here's what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 says. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give place to the devil. Don't allow Satan to acquire a foothold in your life. Don't give the devil an opportunity to work in your life. And here's how we do it. Here's how we give the devil opportunity to work in our life. When we make provision for the flesh. Romans 13. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. If we, when we consistently make provision for the flesh to gratify its desires, what we are doing is we are giving the devil a place, a foothold to work in our life. And I know sometimes we try to separate the two and we say, oh, you know, I'm just treating myself. Oh, I'll just repent about it later. Oh, I'll just, I'll just, you know, I'll just do it this one time. What you're doing when you do that, when you try to gratify the desires of your flesh and you do it consistently is you're giving the devil a foothold and a place to work in your life. And the scriptures are telling us, cast off the works of darkness. Cast off the out-of-control living, the impure living, and let the Spirit bring life to you in the attributes and the power of the holiness of the Almighty God. When we allow, when we make provision for the flesh to gratify to satisfy its desires, and we give the devil room to work in our lives, it grieves the Holy Ghost. It grieves the Spirit of God. Make no provision for the flesh. Let me say it again another way. Make, we don't need, you don't need to be directing any of your attention. You don't need to be directing any of your resources towards pleasing your sin nature. If you're allowing your time your money, your daydreaming, your thought life to make provision for your flesh and your sin nature and those sinful desires, then you're setting yourself up for a failure. Some musicians come. Someone asked a question to a missionary lady one time when I was studying these past few days and the Lord was revealing things to me and dealing with me about this passage. This quotation came to my remembrance. There's this missionary lady who'd spent her life on the mission field. She'd endured a lot of hardships and, and, and challenges, and, and there'd just been a lot that she'd faced. And 
someone asked her a question late in life and, and they asked her, uh, what's the secret? What's the secret of a life like yours? What's the secret of a life that gives it all to God and that's and, and, and steadfast and, and, it's, and that operates in power and, and, and it has such a clear identity and purpose? What's the secret of that? And she said, and these words are what leapt out to me. She said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. We need to put on Christ. Put on Christ. I want us to see and to recognize this morning that that's an active construction. It means that you have to do it. That I have to do it. It doesn't mean allow Christ to come on you. Put on. It leaves it to us. Amen. It leaves it to us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, To you the saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ, I want to end with this tonight, today, as we all stand. Jesus Christ is the only hope for this world. Come on, I... I'm going to say it again, and we need to say amen together. Not for my sake. Jesus Christ is the only hope of this world. Amen. There's a voice of the enemy that's trying to drown that statement, that sentence out. If you don't believe it, just look around. You know the time. The hours come. And Jesus Christ is the only hope that this world has. He is the only hope for your eternal soul. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The hour has come.